Well, this morning we're, we're back to 1 John, and we have been looking at John's description of, of what it looks like to be a, a genuine Christian. And today we're going to be thinking about our hearts in particular, and we're going to look at 1 John 3, 19 through 24. I'm really going to focus on the first two verses, but we'll try to, to, to touch on all of them if we can, if we have the time. But let us give our attention to God's Word, God's holy, inspired, and errant, infallible Word. God is speaking to us. We have the privilege of being able to freely sit here and listen. And, and may God write its truth upon our hearts this morning. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him, and by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Well, I've been focusing on some physical fitness here lately. We've been trying to do a diet, though we kind of got off the diet during vacation. Uh, we've been trying to exercise more and with varying degrees of success. And, you know, as I look at the Internet and, and try to think of better strategies to have more success than I'm actually having it at the moment, um, you realize how much is out there uh, on physical fitness and different programs and different diets and there's a lot of focus in our day and time upon our bodies. And, of course, this carries over not only from you know, the, the aspect of our physical being and physical fitness, but also in the way that we look. You know, the, the world is constantly uh, judging us by our looks or saying that we need to look a certain way. All this focus on the, the, the body, the outward shell, uh, we can get caught up in that in our lives, in our day and time, with so much uh, advertisements, uh, you know, infomercials, what have you, all this focusing in on our bodies. But the mo more important thing to focus on is our hearts. Now, if we spent as much time and money and, and thought and energy upon our hearts as we did our bodies, I don't know if it would make any difference for me because I'm not spending enough time on my body. <laughs> but if we spent all that energy that the, that the world's encouraging us to spend on our bodies, if we spent that on our hearts, what kind of people would we be? Well, John today is, is discussing uh, our heart and one particular aspect of our heart and uh, we need to give attention to what it says here because there's nothing more important than your heart. You know, your, your body uh, will die. Your body, even now, is decaying as we get older. Um, but our heart, our soul, our spirit goes on forever. Our bodies will too, but God's going to have to renew that completely and raise it from the grave, and, and then we won't have to worry about physical fitness anymore. But our hearts, that's what we want to think about today as we consider 
John's words here to us. Now, first of all, we need to define our terms. What does the Bible mean when it refers to the heart? You know, we have this physical organ in our body that pumps blood through our bodies, but when the Bible talks about heart, it's not talking about that physical organ that we have in our chest. The heart, and this is my first point, the heart is the center of the inner life of humans. The human person is made of two parts, as we've discussed. You have the physical, the body, uh, the external body, and then you have the inner person, which is variously referred to in Scripture as the soul, the spirit, the mind, or the heart. Now these words describe the inner self. They're all different ways of referring to the inner person, who you are inside, the real, eternal you, the person you are. You inhabit a body. Your inner person inhabits a body, but it's different than your body. And all these words, we can talk about the soul, we can talk about the spirit, we can talk about the heart, we can talk about the mind, we can talk about the conscience, they're all referring to our inner person who we really are inside. And when we talk about the heart, we're talking about the center of the inner life of humans and the source or seat of all the forces and functions of soul and spirit. In our heart, we have emotions and feelings. In our heart, we have desires and passions. And the heart is the seat of our understanding, the source of our thoughts and reflection. It's, it's where our will resides, where our resolve comes from. It comes from inside in our hearts. And when the Bible talks about the mind or the soul or the, or the spirit or the heart, it's speaking about one thing, that inner person. Now, if the Bible uses the word mind in reference to this inner person, it's laying stress on our thinking or understanding. Think about Romans 12, 1 uh, one and two, where it talks about be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, you're, you're thinking about things differently. You're, you're, you're getting right thoughts about things, and that, tr that transforms you. It's talking about your inner person and, what, and how you think about things. So when it uses the word mind, it's stressing the thinking and the understanding. And when the Bible talks about the heart to describe the inner person, the stress lies more on the emotions, the desires, our will, and as well as the mind, it's included in that also. So all these words, spirit, soul, mind, heart, conscience, uh, they're referring to this inner person. And when we use a different term, it lays the stress on some aspect of our inner person. But it's, it's one. But we are, we are body and soul, or body and spirit, body and mind, body and heart. Two parts. Now when Christians, including the Apostle John in the text before us, speak of the heart, um, part of what they're speaking about is that inner voice that speaks to you more than anyone else does. You know, we, our lives are filled with conversations and we talk to people all day long maybe. But nobody talks to you more than you do. That little voice, your inner person is talking to you constantly. It's reflecting on things and interpreting the world around you. It's a philosopher, it's a theologian, it's a, it's a scientist and is telling you things constantly. And it reflects that voice in your head. It reflects your feelings. It reflects your desires. It reflects your will. 
And the heart can serve, and especially in what he's talking about here, the heart can serve as a witness for or against us. And when it serves in that capacity, we refer to it as our conscience. Sometimes our heart can condemn us. That's what John says here. Our heart can sometimes tell us that we're wrong. Sometimes it tells us that we're right and great and really good looking as we look in the mirror. Well, when we think about the heart and what it tells us, we have to remember the second thing as well. That the heart is deceitful. The heart is deceitful. An important thing to remember about your heart is that it has been affected by the fall. It has been affected by sin. Your heart is not infallible. So sometimes when your heart says, man, you're a great-looking guy, as, you, you know, as I look in the mirror, well, the heart might be wrong about that. Sometimes the heart might say, you're a loser. You don't do anything right. And the heart can be wrong about that as well. Because the heart can, can, can often accuse us falsely and give us false guilt. I think I was prone to that, especially when I was younger. I had a tender conscience. And I would often feel bad about things that I'd done that weren't wrong at all. I just was like always ready to be guilty about something. And my heart was always accusing me of things. So sometimes our heart can falsely uh, accuse us, and sometimes our, our hearts can inappropriately excuse us. And we can think that we're right when we're actually wrong. The heart is deceitful. The scriptures tell us that. And the, the heart is deceitful and and it, it can lead us astray. So the heart is not a faithful guide for life. It's not a it's not a faithful guide for life just on its own because it can deceive us. That doesn't mean that sometimes it's not right. Sometimes it is right, but sometimes it can be wrong as well. Now, when when I say the the heart is not a faithful guide for life on its own. Uh, that really flies in the face of what many people today believe. Because people are guided by emotions rather than truth in our day and time. You, you see it in the news. You see it in the divisions that we have in our country. Uh, people are no longer guided by truth, but they're guided by the way they feel, what they think in their heart. They their attitude is to follow your heart. Whatever that tells you to do, that's got to be right. But we've already seen, the Bible tells us, the heart is deceitful. So you can get into a lot of trouble following your heart. And then why is that so? Why do people believe that today? It's the result of the, this idea that there's no such thing as absolute truth. You know, that's been, that, that thought has been floating around for more than two decades, but it really has entered into our uh, consciousness in the strongest way over the last 20 years or so, maybe a little further back than that. But when people believe that there's no such thing as absolute truth, 
that, that everything is relative, then what is going to guide you? What guides your conscience? Well, it just, it's just guided by what you feel, what you think is right. It may not be right, but if you think it's right, then it's right because there's no such thing as absolute truth according to this way of thinking. So that's why we're in the situation we're in today with so many people so passionately following paths that are destructive and so clearly against what God says. So the heart is deceitful. It's not a good guide for life. And, and people need to understand that today. And we can be prone to think that in our day and time because it's all around us. And that's what we get caught up in it because that's where the culture is. Now, let's look at what John is saying here in this passage about it. That kind of lays the groundwork for what I want to say now. That, yes, the heart is the center of our inner being, and the heart is deceitful. We need to be aware of that. But thirdly, the heart's decrees are not final. The heart's decrees are not final. In the Disney movie Pinocchio, I mean, most everybody's seen Pinocchio. It's been around since the 1940s, right? Uh, Jiminy Cricket sings a song to Pinocchio. He's trying to help Pinocchio since he's become a real boy. Uh, he's giving him some guidance for life, and how, how can he live his life? How, how can he avoid temptation? In the lyrics of a song he sings to uh, Pinocchio. He sings, Take the straight and narrow path, and if you start to slide, give a little whistle, give a little whistle, and always let your conscience be your guide. I don't know what the whistling has to do with anything, but the point that Jiminy Cricket is making is that, that uh, you should let your conscience be your guide. And if you go and look that up on YouTube, that little song, it's only like a minute long, uh, you'll see that in the comments section, uh, all these people saying, what great advice, let your conscience be your guide. Wonderful advice, that's what everybody should do. Follow your heart, and that's the prevalent idea in our culture today. But see, they've missed some of the lyrics to the song that Jiminy Cricket is singing to them. He says, and I repeat, take the straight and narrow path. And if you start to slide, then let your conscience be your guide. But see, what most people aren't focusing in on is that there is a straight and a narrow path. There is a standard by which you should live. And your conscience should be informed by that standard. So when the heart tells us something, and the heart is seeking to guide us in a certain way, we need to weigh that by a, by a standard outside of our hearts. And of course, what we're talking about here is God's Word. And that's what John is concerned with. You know, John has been telling us, what does it look like to be a genuine Christian? And he's mentioned all three of the things, the three tests here uh, in, the, in the passage before us. Um, he talks about the first test, uh, keeping the commandments, Genuine Christians' lives are marked by uh, obedience to God. Secondly, uh, genuine Christians' lives are marked by love for God and for others. And that really is an outgrowth of that first one. The greatest commandment is to love God, and the second one is to love others. So, you know, to, to, be, to bear that family resemblance is a mark of a genuine Christian. And right belief, the third thing. Um, he, he says uh, in verse 23, this is the commandment, that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another. So you see there he's talking about these things he's been discussing throughout the book. 
And what does it look like to be a genuine Christian now? If you back up just to verse 18, he says, uh, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Now, when you start thinking really about the marks of a genuine Christian, and you think, am I a genuine Christian? And the Bible tells us that genuine Christians are those who uh, follow the commandments. Uh, genuine Christians are those who love, their, love God and love their neighbor. Uh, well, you don't have to go to the third test to start feeling really guilty about that because we fail, right, don't we? We don't keep God's commandments perfectly. We don't love others as, as we should, and we certainly don't love God as we should. So, John points out, our hearts may condemn us as we measure ourselves by this standard. Our hearts might condemn us because of our sinfulness. And the heart can tell us, you know, you, you're a failure at this. You, you, you are unworthy. You, you, you are a disappointment to God. And, and how can God ever love you? How can God ever accept you? You fall short. He says, verse 19, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. Now this, is, this passage is notoriously difficult to interpret because there's a number of ways that you can take it. And, and there are a lot of scholars who've spilled a lot of ink trying to get to the bottom of what he actually means here because you can take some of these statements in different ways. I'm not going to take you down that road. If you're interested, I can give you the resources, and you can read all about it. But I just want to point you to what he is saying. And what he is saying here is that by this, and I think he's moving forward, not back. He's not looking back at loving in, in word or talk and saying, well, if you do love not just in word and talk but in deed, then you can feel good about yourself. I think what he's doing is pointing forward. I think the King James actually translates this very well. But what he's saying is uh, we, we, are, we, can be, we can have hearts that condemn, our, condemn us because we do fall short. We are sinners. But God is greater than our hearts. And that's the standard by which we need to judge ourselves. The heart is not the final arbiter of things. No assurance, no accusation is to be received as final until it has passed before God. We must look outside of self for the highest tests of self. It is not before ourselves that we are, to, we are either to assure or to condemn ourselves. Self-condemnation will not be allayed by self-communion. We need not to be self-assured but to be assured by him. And that's really at the heart of what John is saying here. If your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart, and he knows everything. Now, you can take that to mean that, boy, that's, that's not good news. <laughs> you know, if your heart condemns you and, and God knows everything, then you're really in trouble because you know, we, could, we could look at it in that manner, that God's going to condemn you pretty harshly. But that's not the intent of this passage at all. He's trying to assure us, and that's true throughout the whole scripture. You know, he's, throughout, throughout the whole book, he's trying to 
Help us to enjoy fellowship with God. What, is it, what does it look like to have a relationship with God, to, to know God and to walk with Him, and to have the joy of, uh, of complete and full joy in fellowship with God and His people? So He's not meant to condemn us here, but He's trying to build us up and assure us. Now, if our heart condemns us because we are unloving and, and, and we have failed to do the commandments... What we need to do is recognize, is that true or not? Well, yes, it is true. It is true. But to not just wallow in condemnation, but to go back to what John's been saying already. Look back at chapter 1, verse 9. So yes, our heart condemns us, and maybe it's correct in its condemnation. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, if you have a condemning heart and you examine that, is my heart condemning me because I have failed to fulfill God's word in some way? Well, confess that to the Lord. And if we, we confess our sins to the Lord, he will forgive us. My little children, chapter 2, verse 1. I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Your heart condemns you, confess it. And then you tell your heart, look, I have confessed it before the Lord. I, I, have, I have laid it at his feet. Christ has paid the penalty for that sin. He is the sacrifice that is atoned for that sin. And, and not only mine, but for the sins of the whole world. Look at chapter 3, verse 1, what he's been saying to us. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. So you see here, our hearts might condemn us, but we need to, in our condemned heart state, run to the Lord, run to the Lord Jesus. And then we can tell our hearts the truth. We're, those sins have been covered by Christ. We're forgiven. And the Heavenly Father, who loves us and who has made such a great sacrifice by sending His Son into the world to die for us, He will receive us. He will not condemn us. He will receive us. And the results of that is confidence. Look at verse 21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, and why wouldn't our heart condemn us? Well, the only way, way that we can get beyond that heart condemnation is if we're trusting in Christ to cleanse our hearts. And if we are, then we can have confidence before God. We are living in communion with him. Uh, verse 24, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. We, we, we walk in his paths and his ways. We, we want to have that fellowship and continue that communion with him. And that means that our prayers are transformed, that we, we want to please him and, and we ask things in accordance with his will. It's not saying that whatever we ask we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him as if to say, you know, I've checked the box of being obedient, therefore God has to give me whatever I want. That doesn't agree with the rest of Scripture. But what he's saying there is when you are in communion with him, when you have confidence before God and when you're in fellowship with him, your desires become his desires. Your, your prayers reflect his will. You want to obey the commandments and you pray according to his will. So we can have confidence that when we pray those things that are according to his will, that he will indeed answer those prayers. And he's given us as well the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit abiding in us, he says. 
as we have fellowship with him, we walk with him, the spirit work, uh, is in us, it empowers us to be able to say no to sin and, and to love others, we are empowered to do so. So at John's heart, uh, for us as he writes this, is that yes, you know, some of you have a condemning conscience. Some of you live life uh, just constantly having an inner voice that says you're, you're not good enough. A, a, a voice that constantly says you have failed. A voice that constantly condemns you. If that's you today, come to Jesus. Run to him. He will receive you with open arms. Anyone who comes to him, he will in no way cast out. And he, he will not condemn you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yeah, your heart can condemn you, but God is greater than your heart. And if you are abiding in him, if you're trusting in him, then you have no, nothing to fear. You have, you have no condemnation resting over your head. And you can just tell your heart the truth. <laughs> you can tell your heart that, hey, listen to the truth, not just what, you, what you're telling me. Let it be informed by the truth. So the heart is not the final arbiter of these things. God is. And when we rely upon his promises, we can have confidence before him. Well, I hope that, that uh, you think about these things today, especially those of you who have a tender conscience and, and a condemning heart, and that you will, you will trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And for those who don't have a condemning heart, if you're just full of pride and you think you've got it all together, well, you may need to take another step and recognize that, hey, I need to measure myself by God's word, by that standard outside of my heart. Am I really living up to those standards? Well, no, you're not. You need grace as well. May the Lord grant us all grace to abide in him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we do pray that you would help us as we wrestle with ourselves. Lord, our world tells us that we just need to listen to our inner voice, our, our heart, or whatever it might be. But Lord, we pray that we would listen to you and what you say about our situation, that we would trust in you, and that we would, that we would recognize and understand and grasp your great love for us. Lord, we tend to attribute... Uh, negative characteristics to you, that you would be a, a kind of a God who is a killjoy, or a God who is an ogre, or a God who is a, a great judge who is ready to condemn us at the drop of a hat. Lord, we pray that we would once again know the great love that you have for us, and that we would look once again at how you have demonstrated that love in sending your son Jesus Christ to lay down his life for our sins and be raised for our justification. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.